Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. In the 1970s, as the disco era in America grooved on, there was a new cat on the dance floor that was making the rounds as one jive turkey. He was keeping the crowd going all night long, pumping them up with uninhibited energy and confidence that couldn't be beat. It wasn't a happening DJ spinning tunes or a total fox singing on stage. It was, well, the late great Rick James may have said it best. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. If you've ever been at a family reunion and your drunk black sheep uncle talked about the time he did coke off a stripper's ass in the 80s, there's a very high chance that the blow that he did off Trixie's ass was from the subject of today's show, cocaine kingpin himself, Pablo Escobar. Escobar came from the streets of Medellin, Colombia, and from an early age, he was hustling to find ways to make money for himself and his family. Petty street crimes would lead to more lucrative crimes, and over the next 30 years of his life, Escobar went on to set up and flourish from one of the most prolific drug cartels the world has ever seen. He and his cronies dominated the cocaine industry in the late 70s and early 80s, but it wasn't at no cost. The wake of death and destruction the cartel left behind would scar the cities the Medellin cartel operated in. Families broken apart, countless cops went to work one day and never came home, and heaven forbid you run for office and Pablo doesn't like what you're saying. Through all the death, there's still a portion of the population that look at the dangerous dope man as a bit of a Robin Hood, someone that cared and gave back to his community through his dollar dollar bills, y'all. So what's the real scoop? Were the slayings worth the soup kitchens? Was he really the one ordering all the violence? I wonder what Pablo Escobar read while he took dumps on one of his golden toilets. Grab a plate, credit card, and a straw, and get ready to dive into the life and times of Pablo Escobar in this episode of Asshole Court. Right, we want to give a shout out to both James Hatcher and Mira Zaslov. They gave us the recommendations for the Pablo Escobar show. So, big shout out and big thanks to both James and Mira. Big ups, guys. Hey, thanks for that. You know, uh, I love Pablo, or I don't love him, but I'd love to do a show on him. Have wanted to do a show on him yeah. for a long time. So, I uh, appreciate the recommendation, guys and gals. So, thank you. Yeah, definitely a good recommendation. Uh, there's a, a lot there with this fucker. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right, let's get into some pre-show scores for Pablo Escobar. Buddy, what do you got? All right, so uh, for me, starting off, um, yeah, I know about Pablo, of course. You know, any pretty much any teenager from our time has heard the name, and, you know, 
If they haven't done some coke, they've at least heard the name. So um, <laughs> they've done coke. They've done coke. <laughs> <laughs> if you're Maybe in, not teenagers. No, mm, early twenties. Yeah, I would yeah. say college age students. Yeah, yeah, and also like injury trial injury <laughs> attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, with the you know, I'm sure cocaine's going to be a focus on this episode with Pablo, but I didn't go out and do that to get you know prepped for this episode. No, I went out and had another local favorite from down there in Colombia and also from Venezuela is the Arepa and uh, getting ready for this show I went to a nice Arepa restaurant down in uh, Avondale Estates it's called Arepa Mia who is actually they are the sponsor of today's show 100% Arepa Mia Arepa Mia I feel like that would be like a mariachi version (laughs) like a mariachi version of the of the Nirvana song Arepa Arepa Mia Mia. yeah no, it's a it's a banging restaurant down in Avondale Estates, huh. a little suburb outside of Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I had some uh, nice Colombian food to prepare for this episode here. Nice. Um, but uh, getting back to Pablo, man, was it nice and unseasoned and bland? No, it was delicious. All right. Absolutely All right. delicious. Well seasoned. I I just I've seen sometimes that Colombian food could be a little plain. No, this actually right. had a plantain in it, so All this right. was uh actually. Really good. And it wasn't forced on you. That's no. A, that's the important thing. No, no. Y'all don't like Colombian food? No, no, no. I'm, no, joking. I'm, making, okay. a, I'm making an Arepa Mia joke. And, and oh, I'm yeah. going, it wasn't forced I'm going on very me. classy here and dropping rape jokes right off the bat. Uh, buckle up, audience. But um, no, so getting back to Pablo, yeah, uh, this guy is... I mean, he he left an imprint uh, down there. I mean, still, we're still talking about him now. And he's been dead for, you know, over 50 years at this point or oh, 40, no. 50 years. No, yeah, no, it in the 90s. Yeah, it was the 90s. Like 93. Uh, I thought it was like the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, yeah, but still 30 years later, we're still talking about. Him. Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, no, I, I know we're going to uncover a lot. And I'm interested to see what Randy brings up over th- through the course of the show. But when I look at him and I compare him to uh, some of the other people that we've covered on the show, um, I got to start him off pre-show. He kind of reminds me of my boy, uh, Christopher Columbo at a, uh, 9.67. Oh, wow. Because, uh, I mean, Columbus came through, he killed a lot. He pillaged, he, uh, collected plundered. a lot of money. Yeah. Plundered. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, just kind of, there's a lot of similarities there. And, uh, I mean, I've seen Narcos. I mean, I know mm-hmm. there's some, there's some nastiness about him. So yeah, right off the rip, 9.67 as a start for Pablo Escobar. Wow. wow. All, All right. right. Way up there. Hard in the paint, buddy. Mikey. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, um, I'm, I'm familiar with Pablo Escobar. I have been uh, as a teenager going up the 90s and fascination with drug lords and the you know organized crime and stuff like that. But all of my reference points really are going to come from uh, the Netflix series Narcos, which a big fan. Love Narcos. Very good show. And it was very well done. The guy who played uh, Escobar in that was amazing. Oh, he did a great job. Also offered up some really great memes from, you know. <laughs> the one where he's in the backyard. Yeah, just waiting. You're just waiting for something. <laughs> it's, it's a great meme. I'm going to say that I agree. He was, a, he was a very bad person. I don't know if I'll go all the way up to Christopher Columbus because I don't think he like intentionally enslaved people and stuff like that but it's yeah he's it's, he's there's, a bad guy there's no respect for life yeah you're you right know, and that's why i scored him so high no, no no you you gave a valid argument for for why i'm gonna go for me though i'll probably just start him off initially with a 9.0 because he reminds me of subway sandwich pedophile man oh, jared, jared fogel, fogel. Uh-huh. uh not really at all but i think the, the score <laughs> is is uh right in that range i'm sure we'll bump it up a little bit um 
because I don't really remember much about the first two seasons of Narcos other than that meme. Nice. Yeah, I actually went back and watched a little bit of it just to kind of get refreshed. Nice. All right, so it is what it is. We're talking about Pablo Escobar. He's a a drug cartel leader. Uh, What is everything you know about drug cartels? It's lots of money, lots of drugs, and lots of people dying. Yeah. Yeah. So lots and lots of violence. Lots of flashy nightclub scenes as well. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Like gaudy clothes, cars. Yeah. Sure. Hell, yeah. So, I mean, just... Know what you know on a very surface level. Anybody out there, hopefully, if you know anything about, you know, what's been going on in the world in the last 30 or 40 years, you might have heard of Pablo Escobar. So yeah. uh, off the rip, initially, it's funny. I had him at an 8.0 before looking at our scale, mm-hmm. and I decided. <laughs> might need to bump him up a little bit there, you Randy. Know, the 8 scale. We got guys like Scott Peterson and Bonnie and Clyde hanging out there. Yeah. And he's got to be more of an asshole than Pat Robertson. So yeah. I've got him, it, it doesn't feel right. I've got him with John McAfee and R. Kelly pre-show at an 8.5. Okay. All right. I, I bet if you told R. Kelly that he's been compared to Pablo Escobar. Oh, he'd be happy with it. Yeah, that. I was about to say, <laughs> good news for Dude, him. Dude, if you tell any uh, dark times. any hip-hop artist that they're like, you're like, you're basically Pablo Escobar. They're like, thanks, man. All right. With a 9.67 from Buddy, a 9.0 from Mikey, and an 8.5 from Randy, Pablo Escobar's pre-show asshole score is a 9.05. All right, 9.05. Where does that put him on the scale of assholes? He's going to be right between Jared Fogle at a 9.0 and Vlad the Impaler at 9.25. Which is funny because like Vlad the Impaler legitimately impaled thousands of people. <laughs> and and he's he seems just only a quarter point higher. Yeah. <laughs> Just a quarter point higher than Jared the Subway guy. I was looking guy. at that. And I was like looking at Jim Jones. I was like, Jim Jones, bad dude. But we're talking about impaling thousands of people <laughs> to the point where it shocked the Sultan, where he literally right. was so scared he backed off because there was just thousands of his soldiers with uh, giant skewers up their buttholes. Where he was like, you know what, guys, let's go home. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're done here. He said, this guy ain't fucking around, man. <laughs> this shit looks like a kebab shop. That's right. And Pablo Escobar is just below that. Yes. Awesome. All right. You guys ready to chop it up? I am. Let's do it. All right. So before we start, just want to apologize in advance to my Hispanic, Spanish-speaking audience for all of my terrible Spanglish that will occur over the next hour and a half or so. so. I will say what's funny, though, is like because I love Narcos, and every time it comes on, I sit there and me and my wife immediately binge-watch the fuck out of it, and I find myself... For weeks, walking around and speaking Spanish to myself, <laughs> like randomly. I do the same thing. I'm yeah. like, I can learn Spanish because I watch Narcos. Yeah. Like, and I've, I'll pull out Duolingo for about two weeks. Oh, yeah. And, I'll, go, I'll uh, walk with my wife to get the refrigerator. I'm like, scoochie, scoochie. <laughs> 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 I start piecing it together. And I'm like remembering the Spanish that I learned. And I'm like, yeah, it feels good. Yeah. But then if I have to listen to somebody, I'm like, there's no subtitles coming out of your head. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. Slow down yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. All I got out of that was 40. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Not Claro. See, <laughs> <laughs> si, Claro. All right. Pablo Emilio Escobar Gaviria was born on December 1st, 1949 in Rio Negro, Antioquia, Colombia. That's Black River. Antioquia. Black River? Yeah, just saying, but Rio Rio Negro. Oh, yeah, Rio yeah, Negro yeah. is Black River. I'm going to yeah. be doing this the whole show. <laughs> I thought you were about to translate Antioquia for us. No, that's like Antioch, but Antioch. it's not. Yeah. It's Black River by Antioch. Yep, got that fool. <laughs> Sounds like a good song. Yeah. To parents named Abel de Jesus Dari Escobar 
and Hermilda Gavaria as their third child among seven. His father, that was Abel, by the way, between those two names. Uh, His father, Abel, was a farmer, and his mother was an elementary school teacher. Okay. Soon after his birth, Escobar family picked up the move to Invigadilla. Invigado. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're just getting started, yeah, folks. Yeah. It's not bad. Once we thought I was going to butcher it with a Putin episode. We're about to watch Randy <laughs> run through some Spanish. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, though. You actually took Spanish. I did, in high man. School. Two years That's in my like, class. We were we took it together. Yeah, I could I could do my best to use the accents, yeah. but I feel as though as a gringo, it just. Yeah. That's what always threw me off. And I, it would get very comfortable. Like I actually could have a conversation, maybe like a very basic conversation. And my accent is so bad that I would immediately become embarrassed to just switch back to English. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. but I mean, even still, it's like the same thing. Like when you think about like people that come over here from Latin America and they're like trying to speak English oh, yeah. to us. We're like, yo, cool. Go for it. Yeah. You know, like that's they, true. They want you to talk to them. But I, I just feel like I'm like, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just it sounds really bad. And I can even sort of roll my R's. My wife cannot roll the R's. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun yeah. to watch my wife try to run it with an inability to roll R's. Soon after his birth, Escobar's picked up a move to Envigado, Colombia, a suburb right outside of Medellin. From a very early age, Pablo would tell anyone that would listen that he would one day either be a very rich man or the president of Colombia. Sounds like anybody I know. I mean, when at that age, I was like, totally going to be rich. Oh, I was going to be oh, yeah. either a major league baseball player or an astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say president, but I did say I'd be rich. Yeah. yeah. I, think I mean, all we all did. thought that we were going to be rich. Yeah. I mean, like... Scrooge McDuck swimming in our money vault. Yeah, I mean, you know, just living our own movie. I'm the main star. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pablo worked on that first part about getting rich from a pretty early age. He was roaming the streets of Medellin, and Pablo learned many different scams. But one that seemed to make him the most money when he was younger was stealing tombstones. Whoa, that's weird. He and his brother would steal the tombstones right out of the cemeteries, sandblast the names and writing on it, and then resell them to reported crooked Panamadians, is what I read. That's fucked wow. up. That yeah. is fucked up. Yep. They would steal graves, sandblast them, and resell them. He yeah. said, don't worry. No one's going to need this one. <laughs> Jeez. See, right off the rip. Yeah. What happened, a bad to, scene. what happened to Papa's <laughs> gravestone? We saved for three years yeah. for that. No me gusta. <laughs> Uh, Pablo dropped out of high school just before his 17th birthday but decided to give it another run two years later and returned to school with his cousin only to drop out a year later Pablo did wind up getting his high school diploma by making his own that's right in the late 60s Pablo Escobar became known as a crack shot for creating and selling fake diplomas to students at schools all over Latin America his diploma was actually on a tombstone He's like, I'm gra- graduated summa cum laude. Look at this tombstone. <laughs> Look at this shit. Summa cum laude, boy. That's right, bitch. But I mean, goddamn, stealing tombstones early on, then making fake diplomas. That's ballsy. It's kind of like counterfeiting money a little like bit. fake diplomas is, is a little less bad. A little looser. Bad. Yeah, it's a little, a little looser. less bad than stealing gravestones. Still uh, still pretty fire, though. That's, yeah, that's tough. Fresh out of high school with his fake-ass diploma, Pablo decided he did, in fact, want to work on that dream of becoming president one day and enrolled in college at the University Autonoma Latino America of Medellin with the goal of becoming a criminal lawyer and politician. Nice. He wasn't there long, as he quickly ran out of money and couldn't afford tuition and housing. It was back to life on the street for Pablo after college, and he quickly got back into the swing of things 
by getting into the ever-popular criminal pastimes such as selling fake lottery tickets, stealing cars, selling contraband cigarettes, and operating petty street scams. Dude was uh, born bad from the womb. Man. Yeah, 100%. He's had that drive to try and be rich, and he didn't give a fuck who he got over on. Fake lotto tickets, that's almost a victimless crime. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 he ain't winning. <laughs> and I know this because the billion dollar lotto won. I bought two tickets. I didn't hit a fucking number. You know? And we I were get, at my house, then I did Drew. Right. Yeah. I didn't hit a goddamn thing either. I didn't was... hit a number, but I probably shouldn't buy it from the local Colombian. <laughs> Again, no me gusta. Escobar's early prominence and how he put his name on the national criminal map came during the Marlboro Wars, in which he played a high-profile role in the control of Colombia's smuggled cigarette market. So I was reading an article about these Marlboro Wars, and it said at one point only, God, I think it was like 15 to 20% of the Marlboros in Colombia were actually destined for Colombia because they had a high tax on them. Okay. So all these surrounding, you know, surrounding countries would get them in at a much cheaper rate. Yeah. Guys like Escobar, they, yep, they just bring them right in. There you yeah. Go. They showed that in the uh, in Narcos in season one. They show him like crossing a bridge. That's right. Into and like where he had paid all like the local cops. The government was trying to crack down on them, so they flipped it up and they sent the government, like basically the their version of the FBI, okay, down there onto the bridge. And so in comes. Pablo with like four trucks mm-hmm. all filled with contraband and uh, you know they stop him and he's like hey I've paid for this you know the privilege to you know go through here and they're like man fuck that we're the FBI get the fuck out yeah. we're gonna look through here and so they, they're searching all through everything they see it he's not even trying to hide it because he's paid for these routes yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, they're like well we're gonna we're gonna take this shit and he goes no you're not nope. you are like and he goes through and he names everybody there like there's like eight people there like with machine guns and he's like you are Oscar Smith you are yeah. blah 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 you are blah 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 how is your wife He's basically like, I paid to have this fucking rights right here. So yeah. what are you going to do? And they were like, go ahead, Mr. Escobar. Yeah, that's <laughs> you can right. uh, go right ahead. And you'll trick bitch out of my way. Pablo became a bodyguard and a thief in the early 70s and kidnapped a Medellin executive to earn a quick hundred thousand bucks. 1970s is some serious That's cash. That's some baller money. Is that, uh, like 100,000, like US dollar uh, range? It or? said hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I would hope. I would just retire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Colombia in uh-huh. the 70s, you're like, dude, I'm set for life. And that's the story of Mikey Escobar. <laughs> that's it, yeah. His next step up in the criminal world was to work with Alvaro Prito, a contraband smuggler. As the cocaine industry grew in Colombia, thanks in part to its proximity to Peru, Ecuador, and Bolivia, they were all major growers of coca, from which cocaine is derived. The competition to become the head coke dealer in Colombia became quite stiff. Marijuana smugglers began to bring small amounts of cocaine into America in the 70s. As suspected, that shit caught on like wildfire. The industry began to boom, and the money that followed was absolutely mind-boggling. But as we all know, where there is a black market money, there will be violence. As the money poured in and the violence and competition began to rage, we saw the beginnings of the Colombia drug cartels. You had the Cali Cartel, the North Coast Cartel, the Norte de Valley Cartel, and the cartel that Pablo and his cronies formed, the Medellin Cartel. And the Shopping Cartel. (laughs) (laughs) The Shopping Cartel All book. His notable partners include the Ochoa brothers, Juan David, George Luis, and a man by the name of Fabio Restrepo. At the time, Restrepo was the largest cocaine kingpin in Colombia. Say that five times fast. Yeah, that's tough. Shipping about 40 to 60 kilos of coke to Miami once or twice a year. Oh, that was the big... big 
kingpin at, at that the point. time. Yeah, before it all kind of took off. He was the guy like you know selling like a hot dog, and then like <laughs> Nathan's comes along and is like, "Damn it, you're not good. <laughs> like you had a good idea, but you're not able to scale, my friend." Yeah, yeah. he's like selling three kilos a month, and then comes McDonald's. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, well, that's Mikey Escobar. Well, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just doing well, just well, enough. Well, no, think about it. He was McDonald's. He was the big show. It wasn't much. Well, I say he was the McDonald's brothers. One hundred twenty thousand or one hundred twenty kilos of cocaine—that's no, a lot. But he was McDowell's. He was McDowell's. And then yeah. So yeah, him and Escobar and the Ochoa brothers formed up a couple other guys. Escobar was to serve as the head of the organization, obviously focusing largely on their production, transportation, and sale of cocaine. And one of his first moves as CEO, he ordered the murder of Restrepo. Well, why not? Pablo had grown paranoid that Fabio was planning to take Escobar out and become leader himself. Escobar's meteoric rise also caught the attention of the Colombian Security Service, known as the DAS, who arrested him in May of 1976 on his return from a drug trafficking run in Ecuador. That was an infamous picture, right? This mugshot smiling. There. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yep. DAS agents found 39 kilos of coke in the spare tire of Escobar's car. Escobar managed to change the first judge in the lawsuit and bribe the second judge, so he was released along with the other prisoners. Wait. Was it a monster truck tire? <laughs> 39 kilos? I don't know. It had to be a big tire. Maybe a spare, yeah. maybe a spare tire of the plane. Plane tires aren't that big either. Though. Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about that. I was like, he rolls up with Bigfoot, and he's got the spare tire on the back. It's just packed. I guess, I don't know. 39 kilos maybe is not that much, but it seems like it'd be a lot. I know in Narcos, they showed that that was one of the primary uh, smuggling methods that they used was they would transport trucks full of potatoes and the spare tires on the trucks yeah. would all be filled with coke mm-hmm. so yeah Esquire managed to uh get the first judge changed and then bribe the second judge so he was released along with the other prisoners the following year the agent who arrested him was assassinated okay and shockingly the charges faded away oh surprise surprise Yep, and like you were talking about buddy in the early days Escobar used to smuggle cocaine in the old tires of planes and the pilot would receive five hundred thousand dollars per flight Hmm. Jeez, think about planes, that. Half a mil a trip for three hours, six hours. It's not really something that expensive like that. to get a pilot's license either. Have you guys ever thought about this? I do. <laughs> I, no, I, I haven't. I, I don't have a, the set on me to do it, but I'm always like, you know, one trip, one trip could get you there. I'm already picturing yeah, an F-16 dead, like yeah, flying right dead. beside you. Put it down. Uh, I, I wouldn't even be that lucky. I'd be the guy that's in those horrible videos on the dark web where they're like peeling my face off because I fuck up somehow and the cartel kills me. Please, no. Yeah. Where are the kilos, Mikey Escobar? I, I can't even fly. That's I wrecked it. the plane because I don't have a pilot's license. So you're exactly right. Just one trip. You don't know how it'll go. That's, that's it, it, yeah. It looks like you're not retiring in Colombia. No, no. <laughs> Soon the demand for cocaine greatly increased in the United States, which led Escobar to organizing more smuggling shipments, routes, and distribution networks in South Florida, California, Puerto Rico, and other parts of the country. I'm guessing that was our boy George Young There's from Blow. Overlap. There's some overlap. Oh, and they're sure. moving that in. Well, yeah, uh, he and the cartel co-founder Carlos later worked together to develop a new transshipment point in the Bahamas, yep. an island named Norman's K, about 220 miles southeast of the Florida coast. That's right. That's who, who, is Norman's K. K, who is Norman K? It's not a person. It's an island. Mm-hmm. That's it. Diego has it, and he's running shipments daily. <laughs> so what is the Judith Nathan? It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> Norman's K. <laughs> Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. 
Find us there at AHC Podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all of our fans, and we appreciate all of your support. Now, let's dive back into the action. According to his brother, Escobar did not purchase Norman's K. It was instead a sole venture of laters. Escobar and Robert Vesco purchased most of the land on the island, which included a one-kilometer airstrip, a harbor, a hotel, houses, boats, and aircraft, and they built a refrigerated warehouse to store the cocaine. Yeah. From 1978 to 1982, this was used as a central smuggling route for the Medellin cartel. The cartel also used two remote-controlled submarines in their operation. Dang. Jeez. Yeah, that's not some mom-and-pop operation there. <laughs> fucking Restrepo, man. You didn't, you didn't know what you were doing. Nah. Jeez. Yeah, like a fucking ice cream cart with like three kilos. It's like, <laughs> I'm the drug kingpin of Colombia. Got in bed with the devil. Yep. Yeah, you got merch for it. By the mid-1980s, the Medellin cartel dominated the cocaine trade, with Escobar wielding incredible power and wealth. According to some reports, he was worth approximately $25 billion, which supported a lavish lifestyle that included a 7,000-acre estate called Hacienda Napoles, named after Naples, Italy. Yeah, yeah he had the most successful taxi business in all of Colombia. It was like uh, only three money. taxis, but they cleared over $5 million yeah. a week. <laughs> got a lot of that money. That's right. That's right. The estate reportedly cost $63 million and featured a soccer field, dinosaur statues, artificial lakes, a bullfighting arena, an airstrip, a tennis court. Uh, property also had a zoo that housed giraffes, hippopotamuses, and camels, among other animals. Cash was so prevalent that Escobar purchased a Learjet for the sole purpose of flying his money. At the time, Escobar controlled more than 80% of the cocaine smuggled into the U.S., with more than 15 tons reportedly smuggled each day, netting the Medellin cart. Yeah, 15 tons a day. That's insane. That's a far cry from Restrepo's... 100 kilos a year. Yeah, it's three kilos a month. And I want to say dinosaur statues is the most dope dealer shit of all time. (laughs) He's like, I got to put something out here. I don't know. He's like, you ever see that movie Pee Wee Herman? I love that movie. He's like, I want want the same thing out here where he's up there and he holds that girl's hand in the dinosaur. Got a statue of I Marge. want to have a big adventure, a big tough yes. adventure here. Yeah, he said, I want a statue of Large Marge. <laughs> With all the coke coming in, it netted the Medellin cartel as much as $420 million a week. Roberto Escobar used to keep track of all the money earned by Pablo as his accountant. At its peak, when Medellin cartel smuggled 15 tons of cocaine daily to the U.S. worth over half a billion dollars, Pablo and his brother purchased rubber bands worth $1,000 a week to wrap the cash. I mean, ha- at what point is it, how much is enough? You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Just, I've never understood that. Like, when they get to that point, you're like, just stop. I yeah, mean, like, what, what, yeah, it has to be the power, just like. It's that. a power thing, and also, like, I guess a risk of, like, someone trying to wipe you out, but I'd be like, hey, everybody, I'm retiring. Yeah. yeah. No need I'm to kill me. I'm out. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to disappear with my $25 billion. F- you buy an island in the South Pacific. And you're like, you can, even if you want to kill me, go. You come and get it. I guess. I mean, it's gonna be the the, the logistics alone of killing me is gonna be incredibly tough. I'm not fucking <laughs> with you guys. I'm done. It's over. I've got 25 billion. I bought the island for one billion. I'm securing it for one billion. Yeah, I gotta. I'm gonna play with my 23 billion for the rest of my life. A whole hospital just for me. Yeah. <laughs> About 10 percent of the money stored in their warehouses was lost every year due to spoilage by rats. 
chewing on it. Mm, that's yeah, I right. Hearing about that. Yeah, they even had that in Bad Boys when they're like hiding the money in the houses in Miami. Yeah, the rats. They're like shooting them. at the rats and shit. Yep. His empire became so powerful that other drug smugglers gave away twenty to thirty-five percent of their profit to him for smooth shipment of their cocaine to the U.S. There you go. Oh wow! So pretty much you're paying him thirty percent to leave you alone. Yeah, because he knew it was coming. In 1982, the Colombian Liberal Party elected Pablo to the Chamber of Representatives of Colombia as an alternate member. Fucking liberals. <laughs> Told your ass. <laughs> Got libtards. <laughs> doing out there. I told you guys are all criminals. Hillary Clinton. <laughs> he represented the Colombian government officially at the swearing ceremony of Felipe Gonzalez in Spain. So with so much power and control, there had to be a reason why Pablo and his gang wound up rising to the top and being the most successful cartel of the bunch. The philosophy that Escobar lived by was called plata o ploma, meaning silver or lead. Yeah, so, man. He was either nice or mean as fuck. Yeah. And as we've learned in the Giuliani episode, lead is extremely bad for you. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. He would try to bribe fellow politicians to get policy to sway in his favor. And if the bribery, plata or silver, was refused, he would order the death, plomo, or lead of the opposition. Some of the most prominent men in Colombia fell victim to Escobar's murderous plots, such as the Colombian Justice Minister and the head of Colombia's National Police and a Narcotics Unit. Another allegation against Escobar was that he backed the left-wing guerrillas of the 19th April Movement, who stormed the Colombian Supreme Court in 1985. Many of the judges on the court were murdered, and files and papers were destroyed at a time when the court was considering Colombia's extradition treaty to the United States. Now, is this the M13 people? No, M19. they're out of or M19. Uh, yeah, it's M13. M19 was the it's Colombian gang. The Colombian one, yeah. yeah. We were talking about the ones that they always freak out about on like Fox News, which is the MS13. No, I'm I'm thinking of like I guess the M19. Oh, okay, fair enough. Then yeah, I'm sorry. They're talking about MS13. That was that's the the gang out of El Salvador. Ah, uh, gotcha. No, I was thinking I'm thinking of M19. Like the these are the guys that um early on they ki- uh, at least in Narcos they kidnapped one of like maybe like the Ochoa brothers' sisters. And held her for ransom because they're like, we need money for our cause. Yeah. And uh, they're like, well, well, these guys are all rich. They're in Forbes magazine. Yeah. So they steal one of uh, one of the sisters and they hold her for ransom. And Pablo comes in and wreaks fucking havoc. Yeah. But then at the very end, he's like, me and you are going to be partners. I see what you did there, but now you're my partner, brother. We're going to do this. And then that's how the, he huh. got them to get on board, get yeah. on board and, you know, run the. They, uh, need the to, they need to have more imaginative gang names down there. M19, MS13, M16. MS Paint. Yeah. M83. <laughs> Good band. like them. <laughs> MXPX. <laughs> yeah. So when he realized he had no shot of becoming Colombia's president, and with the United States pushing for his capture and extradition, Escobar unleashed his fury on his enemies in the hopes of influencing Colombian politics. His goal was a no-extradition clause and amnesty for drug barons in exchange for giving up his trade. It was known that Pablo's greatest fear was extradition. He said he'd rather be in a grave in Colombia than in a cell in the United States. Yeah, because he's going to the shoe, bro. He's oh, getting yeah. stuck up in Colorado. 23-hour oh, lockdown, bro. One hour a day. Mm-hmm. The fear was so great, he attempted to change Colombia's law of extradition by paying the country's entire debt, an estimated $10 billion. A plan that ultimately failed. So he offered to pay the entire national debt of his country 
to change extradition laws. Extradition law. Wow, I'm gonna give up. Basically, if he was at 25 billion, so he's giving up two fifths of his empire to not. I mean, uh, even if it's like. You know, uh, twenty-four <laughs> billion nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. It's better than being stuck in the shoe. Yeah, twenty-three hours in a six by nine, mm-hmm. where all you could do is take a shit and masturbate occasionally. The more unstable Colombia grew, the easier it made business for Escobar to destabilize the police system as much as possible. Escobar began offering his hitmen around six hundred and fifty dollars for each police officer they took out. That ain't a lot. Yeah, that's like pretty cheap, dude. He's like, but I also throw in. Two pizzas. <laughs> a and steak. a trip to the dentist. Yeah, Buy one, get one free. Yeah. Is Del it, Taco. Is it Little Caesars? <laughs> no, my goose. <laughs> Pizza Hut? Claro. <laughs> By the end of 1993, an estimated 550 police officers had lost their lives to the series of bounties. Damn. Jeez. Yeah. That's insane. Well, and the, what you, the intangible there is how it destabilizes everything. Yeah. Who wants to be a fucking cop? That's right. Yeah. Right? Who wants to be a judge? Who we wants felt to actually that a little uh, bit. We felt that a little bit here in America. Yeah. A couple I mean, of years ago. Shit, a year, you know, it's been a fucked up time anyway, but well, I'm my like, my who, brother-in-law, he quit being a cop. You know, he, he retired early just cuz he was like it's fucked out there right now. So, yeah. like, I guess I'm just no, I'm done. Well, I'm like if there's nobody to uphold like the rule of law, then yeah, shit devolves very quickly. Jaime Ramirez Gomez, head of Colombia's narcotics unit, was shot while driving with his family the day before he was scheduled to testify against Escobar. He had gained fame for his role as the man behind what was then the largest cocaine bust in history in 1984. Cold-blooded. Killing him in front of his family, too, man. You're like, I don't know. It sucks. Ruthless. And people that like glamorize it all the time, they're like, yeah, Escobar. And you're like, nah, these motherfuckers suck, dude. Yeah, they suck. It's like they the mafia. Had- like when I was a teenager in the 90s, I was like, oh, the mafia is so fucking cool. I was just in the mafia. And I remember like, my stepdad being like, they're fucking scumbags, dude. And I was just like, you don't know shit, dude. <laughs> now I'm like, yeah, that's horrible. I mean, and that's what we're talking about. Like they're, they will kill a dude in front of his family. Yeah. No respect for life. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, like it's. It's my dream, and I'm going to fucking get it. Yeah. At, at no You've already achieved it. You, yeah. It's over. You just <laughs> buy your island and fuck off, man. Be the president yeah. of your island and go. Yeah. A guy by the name of John Gyro Velasquez, better known as Popeye for his prominent jaw, was one of Escobar's most loyal and ruthless associates. He became affiliated with the drug lord after leaving the police academy in Colombia. He claims to have taken almost 300 lives and says he arranged the deaths of up to 3,000 others. He expresses little remorse for any of them. By the time of his arrest, Popeye had established a fearsome reputation for using frightful techniques. He even killed his girlfriend minutes after discovering she was talking to the DEA. Popeye served 22 years in Colombian prison before walking free. Eating spinach, breaking the bars, and then (laughs) escaping and beat up Bluto. Popeye got arrested again for extortion in May 2018. But it wasn't just after he got kicked out of Congress that Pablo had implemented some straight-up violent-as-fuck tactics to intimidate and or kill people. On November 27, 1989, Escobar's cartel planted a bomb on Avianca Flight 203, killing 110 people. That's right. The target, a presidential candidate, was not actually on board. Oh. Yep, they missed him. Oh. But there was two Americans on board. Uh Uh-oh. And that was a big... uh, catalyst to the u.s saying all right fuck this shit it's time to go get him yeah big mistake dude yep dumbass during a party at escobar's home one of his servants was caught stealing silverware escobar's response had the man tied up and drowned him in my swimming pool by all the guests watch 
Wow. Wow. Could you imagine being at a fucking party? And oh no! Like no, the help no. gets tied up and drowned. They're like, "What do we do? Bowl. What do we? Should we say something?" They're like, oh, "I don't think so." The guy's like, "No, you said something about silver or lead. I took the silver. I took the silver." <laughs> what? What if it was? I thought you said silverware or lead. <laughs> what if it wasn't like a fancy pants party? It was like a party at one of our buddies' house that just happened to be it's a kiddie pool. And he just drowns him in the kiddie pool. It just happens to be catered, and all of a sudden. <laughs> One of the caterers comes out gagged up and thrown in the pool. <laughs> it wasn't even real silverware. <laughs> it was the plastic yeah, stuff. Good dude. plastic stuff. No, that's fucking it was horrible. Chinette. Like, we're making jokes. That's fucking yeah. horrible, dude. Escobar also told his lover, Virginia Viejo, about an ex girlfriend who became pregnant by another man. Escobar oh. had her kidnapped and subject to forced abortion. Oh. In 1989, left-leaning presidential candidate Luis Carlos Galan promised to take on Colombian drug cartels and approve an extradition treaty to the United States, both popular moves with the Colombians. Polls indicated Galan would win the election with more than 60% of the vote. Under the direction of Escobar's hitman Popeye, gunmen assassinated Galan during a campaign event in Soacha. After the murder of Galan, the Cesar Gavitas-led administration acted against him. So Cesar Gavitas, I guess, was the Colombian president at the time. Okay. Yeah. Escobar's terror campaign claimed the lives of three Colombian presidential candidates, an attorney general, scores of judges, and thousands more of civilians and police officers. That's yeah. insane. That's John Edwards' Mitt Romney and fucking Sarah Palin just catching dome bullets, dude. Right. Peace! <laughs> Jeez. And a thousand of their followers. Yeah. Three thousand I mean, of their followers. That's a, yeah, like I said, that's that's the Wild West, bro. Amid the growing bloodshed, a massive manhunt was undertaken to find Escobar while the government was also beginning negotiations for his surrender. In June 91, on the same day that the Colombian Congress voted to forbid extradition in the country's new constitution, Escobar surrendered and was subsequently jailed. So right. the day that they said they wouldn't extradite him, he turned himself in. Coincidence? His imprisonment, however, had little effect on his criminal activities and his lifestyle. He was allowed to build a luxurious prison, which became known as La Cathedral, or the Cathedral. Mm -hmm. Not only did the facility include a nightclub, sauna, waterfall, and soccer field, it also had telephones, computers, and fax machines. Everyone knew that Escobar was still running his operation from La Cathedral. Yeah, he said, oh, come up to my prison party, bro. <laughs> he said, we're having a disco. I have computers. We play Oregon Trail. We play soccer out back. We play soccer out back. I got the code where you don't die of dysentery ever. Yeah. But in July 1992, it became known that the drug kingpin had ordered some disloyal underlings to his prison where they were tortured and killed. This was too much for even the Colombian government and plans were made to transfer Escobar to a standard prison. Oh, and he was like, is, fuck that. He said, <laughs> no me gusta. Yeah, he said, oh, that is really fucked up, man. <laughs> what do you mean? We're not going to be able to bring strippers in here anymore? And he said, we were okay with the cocaine disco and the Oregon Trail computers, <laughs> and you even killing them. But the torture part is fucked up, Come bro. On, man. That on. is where we draw the line, Pablito. Fearing he might be extradited, Escobar escaped from La Cathedral and went into hiding with his family. He escaped from his own prison. <laughs> that's right. Love it. Not that's a, that's a uh, it's like reverse Shawshank Redemption. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or that, isn't that a built creed? it in the escape yeah. route? Build my own prison sounds like the Creed song back in the day. That's right. My own prison. I wouldn't mind it if he uh, tortured and killed Scott Stapp. <laughs> Where is the silverware, Scott Sapp? Oh, man. 
Is it platinum or lead? <laughs> One platinum album. No, I don't know, man. Fuck Scott's dad. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> One night on the run, when the family was hiding in a cave, Pablo burned $2 million in cash to keep his daughter warm. Hey, why not? The U.S. government and local police ordered a massive manhunt. By late 1992, there were two organizations searching for him. The Search Block, a special U.S.-trained Colombian task force, and Los Pepes, a shadowy organization of Escobar's enemies that made up of family members of his victims and financed by Escobar's main business rival, the Cali Cartel. Los Pepes was for real, bro. Oh, they hated him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it was like, hey, who hates him, has a grievance against him, yeah. who lost family to him? Anybody yep. want a shot back? Uh-huh. Let's do this shit. And we got you financed what pretty well. What should we call ourselves? It's got to sound real dangerous and shit, man. They're like, what about Los Mad men. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's got to sound incredibly Latin. Los locos. It's los locos kick your balls into outer space. <laughs> Pablo Five is still alive. With two parties looking for him, the resulting fights ended in the killing of around 300 relatives and associates of Escobar and destruction of huge amounts of property of his cartel. Wow. So much for those fucking family reunion t-shirts they made that year. <laughs> God damn it. I already had them printed up. Yeah. 300 of them <laughs> to get no use out of them. No me gusta. You won't see them at the gas station. Try to sell them on eBay. Five years later. You always see those people that have like the their family reunion shirts from like 1998. Yeah. yeah you're like, like man. Nice. Yeah, it's all right. You're out of t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> out of clean shirts, are you? This is my favorite shirt. <laughs> On December 1st, 1993, Escobar was celebrating his 44th birthday, allegedly enjoying cake, wine, and marijuana. Oh. Yeah, they showed that in the show that he he stayed away from most everything, but he he liked the marijuana. Yeah, makes sense. He liked to just chill out at the end of the night and smoke a dube. Yeah, he said, you know, I get real high sometimes, and I get a real good strain of this shit, and all the people I killed, their ghosts come and talk to me, man. <laughs> This purple Urkel is really <laughs> amazing. Weed's gotten so good lately. I'm actually hallucinating a bit. The next day, Colombian security forces, using U.S. technology, located Escobar hiding in a home in a middle-class section of Medellin. The search block moved in, triangulated his position, and attempted to bring him into custody. Escobar fought back, however, and there was a shootout. Escobar eventually was gunned down as he attempted to escape the rooftop. Although he was shot in the torso and the leg, the fatal wound passed through his ear, leading many to believe that Escobar committed suicide. Huh. Others believe one of the Colombian policemen fired the bullet. His two brothers, Roberto and Fernando, also believe he shot himself through the ear. In a statement regarding the topic, the duo stated that Pablo had committed suicide. He did not get killed. During all the years they went after him, he would say to me every day that if he was really cornered without a way out, he would shoot himself through the ear. Oh, hey, hey, guys, I'll kill myself. But how exactly? He's like, you see this earlobe <laughs> right here, bro. I, I, there's no way I'm going out except for just shooting myself right through this ear. To be honest, dude, at that point, you are already shot multiple times. Like it's the end's coming. And it's, the cops and you are know it. Yeah. You know nice, what I mean? You've gone from living in mansions to living yeah. in like this like one bedroom apartments. It's just funny. They still have to try to spin it. They're like, oh, he, they didn't kill him. He killed himself. The legend of Pablito <laughs> Escobar. Soon after Escobar's death and the subsequent fragmentation of the Medellin cartel, the cocaine market became dominated by the rival Cali cartel until the mid-90s when its leaders were either killed or captured by the Colombian government. 
Narcos Mexico. That's right. Well, they did Narcos the Cali Cartel was the third season. Oh, that yeah, was just the right. Cali that Cartel. Just then the Cali. they switched to Mexico, Mexico, which was when it was I can't Kiki. Remember, like, I the, yeah, they Kiki, covered the Kiki, Kiki the whole. And that was like the prequel to. Yeah, uh, that happened in the 80s. That's when they killed the DEA agent. That was a. Oh, God. No bueno. That yeah. was no bueno. They, they went actually, after them. That shit was fucked up. The, every cartel got the message. You don't fuck with the DEA. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Like, Mexico looks like such a cool fucking place. And there's so much, like, great, like, surfing and all. History, and I'm, and culture. I'm just fucking terrified of that place, dude. Yeah. Like, just don't want to get. There was a surfer that went down there and it was, like, riding around on a dirt bike and shit. And then they were like, he just disappeared. We don't know where he went to. And then they found him chopped up in a cooler. Oh, oh my, my God. Yeah. And you're like, can you just kill the guy? Right. Why God. do you got to be so fucking. Uh, Sicario brutal. about it. Yeah, just don't don't be so brutal. God, have y'all seen Sicario? Yeah, good show. Good oh, movie, good movie. Good movie. Hey guys, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do us a favor and share or repost our show on your favorite platform. We love and appreciate the support. Now, back to the action. So not only did the drug cartel fall apart after Pablo's death, but what happened to the animals at a zoo? Escobar kept four hippos in yeah. a private menagerie at the Hacienda Napoles. They were deemed too difficult to seize and move after Escobar's death and hence left on the unattended estate. By 2007, the animals had multiplied to 16 and had taken to roaming the area for food in the nearby Magdalena River. In 2009, two adults and one calf escaped the herd. After attacking humans and killing cattle, one of the adults called Pepe was killed by hunters under authorization of the local authorities. Los Pepes strikes again. Pepecito, no! <laughs> Hippos will fuck you up, oh, son. Yeah, man. You ever seen those videos where they bite through a watermelon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they, like God. a peanut, like an unchilled peanut. They <laughs> fucking, Disney lied to us. I was like, look how cute they are in their little tutus dancing around. Hell no, they kill more people than lions and they shit. They will kill you, yeah. As of early 2014, 40 hippos have been reported to exist in Puerto Triunfo, from the original four belonging to Escobar. Without management, the population size is likely to more double within the next decade. Well, there you go. Invasive uh, hippos. Yeah. yeah. No big deal. Don't worry about that. They're not like the most deadly animal on the planet. <laughs> it's like, what are those? Like cuttlefish down in Miami? or the Oh, they're the lionfish. The lionfish. Yeah, but lionfish ain't going to kill your ass like a hippo. Hippo is going to crunch through your head like we saw it do that watermelon. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. It could do two heads at one time. And I'm not talking about like normal size heads. I'm talking about heads like the guy from that movie, Mask from the 80s. <laughs> Big head. We're talking John Kerry size heads. <laughs> Just getting crunched. So other than the cartel and the hippos, there was something else that was left behind after Escobar's death. His family. In 1976, Escobar married 15-year-old Maria Victoria Haino Vallejo, and the two would later have children, Juan Pablo and Manuela. But Escobar was famous for his extramarital affairs and tended to prefer underage girls. One of his girlfriends, Virginia Viejo, went on to become a famous Colombian television personality. Another girlfriend, drug distributor Griselda Blanco, is also reported to have conducted a clandestine but passionate relationship with Escobar. Several items in her diary link him with the nicknames Coco de Mi Rey, My Coke King, and <laughs> Poya Blanca, white cock. Yeah. Oh. There it is. 
In spite of his affairs, he remained. Poya Blanca. I was like, white chicken. I thought it was chicken too. That makes sense because a cock is a rooster. So that's what's confusing to me about Spanish a lot of times. You know what I'm saying? You're like, no, it's both things. That pollo is loco, man. Yeah, I'm like, yo, that's hey, choking your chicken. I'm figuring it out. We also do it in English. In spite of his affairs, he remained married to Maria Victoria until he died. Immediately after his death, his family went into hiding, seeking asylum. In a shocking twist of events, no other countries would have them, so they found refuge in a Bogota hotel. Today, his son Juan Pablo is a motivational speaker who goes by the name Sebastian Moroccan. Moroccan studied architecture and published a book in 2015, Pablo Escobar, My Father, which tells the story of growing up with the world's most notorious drug kingpin. He also asserts that his father did indeed, in fact, commit suicide. Ah, he said, look, I don't, I'm not trying to make a name. For my father. I am my own man. <laughs> I am a motivational speaker, uh, much like Tony Robbins. Now, here's my book. Pablo Escobar, my dad. <laughs> he said, my father's not a person to be intimidated, Moroccan said. He showed us the path we must never take as a society because it's the path to self-destruction, the loss of values in a place where life ceases to have importance. His okay. daughter, Manuela is very recluse and has never sought to be in the public eye. Yeah. I try to find some stuff on her and everything you see is like, she's recluse, you won't find Redacted. her. Redacted. Yeah. I found pictures of her. Um, one report that I did read said that she's living with her brother and his wife due to an unstable mental condition. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Probably a lot of stress early on. While Escobar was alive, slinging literal tons of coke, having cops and pretty much anyone who got in his way killed, he still found a way to get back to his community. He Old wanted to- Robin Hood. Yeah. He wanted to be liked by the common people, so he built churches, sports fields, and public parks. People regarded him as their own personal Robin Hood. People loved him. He represented one of them, one who had risen up to hit back at their wealthy oppressors. More than 25,000 people attended his funeral. But it's important to note that not every Colombian saw him as a Robin Hood-like hero. For writer Bernardo Garcia, his childhood memories of Escobar's Colombia come without the romanticized images of flourishing communities and beautiful football fields. For him, it was largely about fear and the unwavering morals of Escobar. Sebastian, the son of Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar, answers questions during the presentation of his book, Pablo Escobar, My Father. My dad despised the drug traffickers, and to the extent that he could do so without getting shot, he was intolerant of any social interaction that might legitimize their place in society, Garcia recalled in an article about those days. Also, speaking of the relief when Escobar died, comparing it to the defeat of Satan. What? The okay, so fuck hold on. was that? I feel like I just literally got hit in the head with a golf club. <laughs> yeah, so he's saying like, Paolo was basically like, I don't like my captains and all of their workers. I'll read it again. My dad despised the drug traffickers and to the extent that he could do so without getting shot. He was intolerant of any social interaction that might legitimize their place in society. Uh, you tried to run for president, Holmes, as a drug... <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, I mean, I get it. I hate middle management. I'm middle management, <laughs> but it feels a little different, you know? <laughs> right? Well, there it is, boys. That is Pablo Escobar. I still feel like I just had a fucking seizure from that last paragraph. Yeah, yeah I, I did too. I don't know. My dad was a good man who he, did not want the traffickers to get embedded into society. It's so funny. He's like living in like three different like uh, tales all at once, man. It's just like, oh, my dad was a good guy. He killed himself, but he was a bad guy. I'm glad he's dead. Also, he hated drug dealers. He was a drug dealer, a drug 
King, I don't know. What the fuck? I, actually, I'm going to start looking up YouTube videos. of What's this guy's name? Sebastian Moroccan. God, I bet it's not good at all either. Yeah, I he's bet just, you he's like, please like my TikTok account. Dude, he's just like, yeah, it's his whole, it's his, he punched a ticket with his dad. He's yeah. like, this is my dad. Why can't my dad do this shit? You know what I mean? We could have a podcast. We would have like 80,000 more people <laughs> listening to this podcast. You know what I mean? And uh, it's, I don't know. It's fucking crazy. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, who wants to get their uh, final take first here? Buddy, go for it. All right. So, um, yeah, that was a that was a really uh, interesting episode. You know, there's a lot of those things that I already knew. You know, a couple of things that you know I wasn't aware of in the beginning. Him and his brother stealing headstones from, or you know, like from graves and stuff yeah, like that's that. Fucked up, man. And yeah, sandblasting them and then reselling them. Like that's who even comes up with that idea? I mean, it's. Kind of a genius, but it's so wrong. It's very wrong. <laughs> I'm yeah. saying, like, but where's the market? Yeah, I you mean, buy your fucking headstone off a of black market. You're like, my- crooked Panamanians apparently were hot and heavy buyers for uh, so. blank headstones. I know. I need a headstone bad. I've got to hook up. Yeah, twelve year old named Pablo. It's expensive to put somebody in the ground. You it know is. what I mean? It a is. headstone in a casket with the land. That's why I told Dude. my wife, I was like, just burn me up, dump me in the toilet, and call it a day. I won't know the difference. Yeah. I'll never know. Yep. Have a football party for me. There you go. Yep. So, um, you know, that was kind of shocking for me. You know, I thought that it might be something that he just kind of started to kind of stray in his teenage years, you know, getting embedded with maybe some local gangs and stuff nah, like that. Bad seed, brother. Bad right from, from the, the jump. Yeah, right from the jump. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he did a myriad of things uh, all throughout the time, uh, you know, all while he was kind of coming up through the ranks. But, you know, like, we talked about the plane bomb where he was trying to kill one of the presidential candidates who wasn't even on there. Yeah, at least be good at it. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was botched. God yeah, damn. That's 110 a, civilians killed. That's a big matzo ball hanging out there if you swing and miss like that. Like, yeah, that's just that's, stupid. Yeah. And that honestly, like I said, is one of the catalysts for America saying, fuck this. Well, and we, also you're you know. like, uh, yeah, just shoot the guy in the streets somewhere. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, he had the his girlfriend that uh, got pregnant and he uh, forced an abortion, like had her kidnapped. I can't believe it didn't worse than that. I was yeah. like, an abortion? I was like, I that's like. kill the other guy, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'd be probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah, probably did. Did. Torture and kill. Uh, and uh, didn't kill her. Just killed the baby. You're like, oh, all right. Well. Uh, I thought it was gonna be a lot worse. Yeah, than that. I thought it was too. Trying to keep that side piece on deck. I guess so. God, but strange. Randy said that he killed a total of three presidential candidates, judges, police officers, thousands of people. You know, some of the things that we didn't get into were like his mules, where he would uh, specifically target pregnant women, and he would have them swallow packets of cocaine. And it was like regular women could um, swallow about 50 packets and, you know, take the flight and go over there. But if you were pregnant, you could fit about 70 in there. And there was multiple women who died because, yeah. like, packs would rupture in their yeah, body. things going to go wrong. You know, all of a sudden there's 12 grams of pure cocaine in your system. Yeah, you're going to be back. Right, how, how much for you guys to be a drug mule? How far are we going? What do Let's we, say uh, you're crossing the Mexican border. What is the method of transportation? You gotta put it in the condoms and swallow it. And you have to, you have to, you have to carry. Let's say you do a, I don't know, like a pound. I could never do it. I could never do it. Like I get nervous carrying a quarter of weed just down the street here, and it's you know, like I, I'm looking at like a misdemeanor That's at right. best. Like let alone trying to carry a kilo of coke into the United Police States. Police officers, listen up, buddies, carrying weed on them. <laughs> 
You getting paid though? How much? How much? You getting paid? I mean, like, it's I not would, a dollar amount. Are you because serious? Because I wouldn't be because I I I would I'd, do I'd it. swallow I'd about about twenty twenty condoms no. worth How of cocaine. How much is a pound of coke? No. A, a pound, pound of coke is uh, it's half a kilo. Kilos are two point two pounds. <laughs> Sorry. How, what weighs more, a pound of uh, uh, <laughs> of hammers or a pound of feathers? <laughs> it's a pound. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the volume. Honestly, if I swallowed the if condoms. You- this is about a pound. All right, I got a Gatorade maybe, bottle here that buddy's showing me. A regular Gatorade bottle, not the big boy, but probably a regular Gatorade bottle. So if I did that in like three or four condoms, like, that'd be nice. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> ten. All right, yeah, maybe ten. <laughs> right. Randy's Randy's eating half of an Arby sandwich in one bite, <laughs> yeah, and some fucking uh, what are you magnums? You know, yeah. he's just, just eating one magnum condom like it's a fucking Italian, uh, like, like a salami hanging in the fucking deli window. <laughs> they look at the X-ray; it looks like a big old Polish sausage in Randy's but chest. Getting getting back to it, getting back yeah, to yeah, it. I a- would I would try to swallow as much cocaine as possible and walk across the U.S. border for. You know what? Instead of a flat fee, I'd shoot for a percentage. Oh, well, that'd be tough though, because really, a pound is is only going to be worth probably. I don't know. I mean, how much is a wholesale is going to be? Uh, you're looking at probably fifteen thousand. Okay, is Ooh. that all? I think so. Keys uh, wholesale. I don't know. I I don't know. We're gonna have to figure this out. Pause while we look up with the the price. It's obvious that we're not big big boy drug dealers here. What is it? He's like, I don't know. It's like we're Googling the price of a kilo of cocaine. <laughs> Do it on an incognito. He said it's about the price of a sack full of crystals, I think. With inflation these days, boy. How much is a kilo of cocaine? <laughs> According to a Google search, it depends on where we're buying it, boys. Yeah. All right, because wholesale. a kilogram of cocaine can cost as little as 14500 in San Diego and as much as 45000 in Anchorage, Alaska. I got to go to San Diego. Yeah, Randy would be walking across the border, probably San Diego, oh, Tijuana. Yeah, Tijuana. Tijuana. Damn, I'm sorry. So there's, and it's so, half that. It's only, it's only, yeah, you ain't getting So there's like seven that. grand net. I would go flat fee. Business model has changed. I would go flat fee. He thought he was about to sign an NBA contract. Twenty five hundred bucks. That's that's a good answer. That's fucking dangerous, son. Multiple felonies for twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. potentially dying. You're right. Maybe in my younger days, I would have done. Yeah. That's a good one. That's the thing is that like it's not worth that much to me. Unfortunately, if it was, uh, you know, like, I mean, if I was be, smuggling like nuclear secrets into the country and it was like a million dollar payday, yeah, take I'd him do down, it all day. Take him down to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you could, I don't think you could, uh, I don't think you could pay me enough to swallow. But now yeah, that I think about the ma- amount of money of it, yeah, no. Now, how much would it, to fly a plane? That if you're you a pack, proficient flyer, if yeah. you're a proficient pilot, and then you pack like literally, I don't know, like a hundred kilos in, and you get twenty percent of that. I may run that one time. Nah, see, like I, I live in that world where it's like, if I could get that million dollar payout. 
I could retire and just like disappear. So I'm like, you know what? I'll roll, I'll run the slow path. I'll learn that myself and not uh, not try to smuggle drugs into the United States. I'm gonna I'm gonna start right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've already been looking at sailboats uh, recently. Maybe I'll switch to, 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 to <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways, all right. Sorry, we got a sidetrack there for a second. Um, but anyways, no. Um. You look at all the people that he killed, the thousands of people that he killed, the mules that he killed. With you know, he, he has no respect for life. It's all just a, a means to his end. Sure. And then you also got to look at all the family members that got killed in the path at the end as he's trying to be yeah. on the run and use them to, you know, help him out. It was something like over 300 family members yeah. were yeah. killed yep. at the end. So many buckets of chicken and potato salad left from that from that <laughs> from that family reunion. Oh, man. Who knows what happened to those 98 shirts? Yeah. <laughs> They're out there somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, so no, um, it's kind of tough because we're sitting here with people like Jared Fogle at a 9.0. <laughs> Our, our a bit skewed. <laughs> and then Vlad the Impaler at a 9.25. Yeah, you know. And then we got Duterte in at 9.33. It's, you know, it's, it's a interesting litmus test that we've got here up at the top end, but I actually like where I had him at the beginning at a 9.67. He kind of has that Christopher Columbus um, rage where he comes through and he just, I mean, annihilates anybody that gets in his way. Mm -hmm. He gets his way, he gets what he wants. So, yeah, for me, final asshole score for Pablo Escobar. I'm keeping him where I had him, 9.67. Okay, 9.67, hard in the paint. Mikey, what do you got? I'm going to bump him up a little bit. Pretty standard. Some of the stuff you were telling me about I forgot about or I didn't even know about. Didn't realize he killed like three presidential candidates. That's fucking gnarly. That's shit. insane. Like he's killing like Mitt Romney. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, just wipes out like fucking Ron Paul's just catching one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, so what my score. Bernie Sanders, <laughs> no. My score is going to be a 9.5. I'm put him in 9.5 because. I feel like he is uh, spiritually akin to Vladimir Putin, but doesn't own the nukes. He oh, yeah. uh, Vladimir Putin has killed uh, plenty of political assassinations, also massive thief, also insanely rich off of uh, crimes. He's a, a crime lord, but he's just not quite there. Vladimir Putin doesn't even give us cocaine. Yeah. So yeah. 9.5 for Pablo Escobar, although if I was going to rate his hair, going to give it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like matted pubes that you've, that you've ever, you get real drunk and try to like part your pubes in the shower. It looks about like that. You're like, let me see what this looks like. And that's, uh, so there you go. Enjoy that. Nice. Randy, take us home. All right. So obviously, I mean, you hear the, the bombing of the, the airplane, right? That one really kind of stood out to me as I was going through this. Mm-hmm. I didn't really remember that. That that's was, right. And that's Vladimir Putin shot down man. an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, call, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. But I mean. You know, you killed 110 people um, that had nothing to do innocent with. civilians just yeah. because you were trying to further your mission. Yeah, so that that one really kind of stood out. But you kind of knew a lot of that street violence was, you know, had taken place, had definitely occurred. And it's not like I said in my intro. It's like when you think drug cartel, you think of people getting killed and cocaine yeah. and it's crazy shit. But you know, I think we've hammered every nail on the deck. So I'm gonna lay him out. I had him at a what I had him before eight point five eight point five Alex Jones that's pretty light. <laughs> um, I'm gonna bump him. I'm gonna bump him to a nine point three two. 
Just under Jim Jones. Just under and Jim Jones Rodrigo and Duterte? Rodrigo Duterte. Yes. Okay. Jim Jones killed 800 <laughs> of his parishioners. Yeah. Uh, Duterte. Pablo killed three presidential candidates. Yeah. <laughs> and thousands of people. Yeah. But Jim Jones did it directly. Yeah. And made him drink Flavor Aid. Not even Kool Aid. He couldn't even afford the good stuff. <laughs> Let's be honest. Flavor Aid. Wasn't it grape? It was grape. Grape. Yeah. Which isn't a bad flavor. All right. All right. With a 9.67 from Buddy, a 9.5 from Mikey, and a 9.32 from Randy, Pablo Escobar's final asshole score is a 9.49. All right, 9.49. Puts him just above Jim Jones and Rodrigo Duterte and just below Vladimir Putin. Putin was at a 5.8. Or, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Vladimir Putin was at a 9.58. And again, Jim Jones and Rodrigo Duterte both clocking in at a 9.33. Pablo fitting in right the middle there at 9.49. Definitely on the upper end of the scale there. 100%. Awesome. We hope you enjoy this episode of Asshole Court. Patreon subscribers, you're welcome. Y'all just got that new batch of fucking badass swag we send out. And don't worry, more is coming soon. Check us out, patreon.com slash AHC podcast. You got to put the full name in the browser to get to us because we are... Explicit. Check us out. Get all the good shit. Be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court.